Uh, hello, my name is Daniel Byman with Georgetown Brookings, and I'm here today with uh, Colin Clark of the Sifan Group. And uh, uh, Colin, I'm d delighted to discuss uh, your new article in War on the Rocks on Taliban uh, counterinsurgency, which is really a fantastic piece of work. Thank you. And I wondered if, uh, why don't we begin our conversation, but just why don't you summarize some of the arguments you make in that? Sure. Um, it's, it's really a piece that looks at the struggle uh, that the Taliban has had in, in terms of transitioning from an insurgent group and fighting like insurgents for the past two decades to attempting to behave more like counterinsurgents uh, with everything that goes along with that, uh, you know, using uh, a monopoly on the use of force or violence while also maintaining some form or semblance of political legitimacy. Uh, and, and in the piece, John Schroeder and I lay out all the reasons why the Taliban so far has been failing to do that. Um, and it really dovetails with the story of, you know, what I've called in, in other um, studies on counterinsurgency from my time at RAND, the kind of iron fist approach, you know, a very scorched earth approach to uh, conflict. And that's alienated a lot of locals, even those fence sitters, uh, particularly some in Salafi communities that, you know, ISK and the Taliban are competing for. Uh, but there's been very little thought given to protecting minority groups or protecting civilians. It's kind of just a knockdown, drag out fight, uh, and that's more, you know, more likely than not to prolong this conflict. One thing that interested me in your article was um, your point that the Taliban are likely to remain focused on Afghanistan, and the struggle with ISKI is going to make it even more so. And to me, this hits a, a key issue for the Biden administration. Uh, you know, one of the big enduring questions of Afghanistan is, will it become, again, a base for international terrorism, whether that's akin to 9-11 or even on a lesser scale, enough where very dangerous groups are going to pose a threat to the United States or to key allies. Um, and this suggests to me a situation that's bad for Afghans. You're going to see a lot of violence, a lot of fighting. Uh, but it's going to be difficult for either ISKI or the Taliban to kind of shift over to international terrorism. And I think we'll see more, if there is a danger, it's probably going to be more to the region, whether that's mm -hmm. Pakistan or South Asia. Yeah. And um, that, uh, to me, is in a strange way reassuring, but also suggests a pretty grim outlook for Afghanistan in the coming years. No, I think you're spot on with that. Um, and, and too often when we talk about uh, foreign fighters, and, and obviously you just wrote a great book on that, Road Warriors, or transnational terrorism. As Westerners, too often we default to think about, well, how does this impact the West? Are these Americans, Europeans, or others traveling to the conflict? And we overlook the regional dimension. I mean, a foreign fighter is anyone from the immediate region. Uh, transnational terrorism is terrorism outside of Afghanistan's borders. And I do think, given the number of players involved, Iran, Pakistan, uh, India, Turkey, Russia, China, the Gulf states, there's inevitably going to be some kind of blowback against some of the countries aforementioned, and they then have to choose how to deal with that, uh, which could manifest in any number of ways. Just one example is how Iran chooses to deal with uh, increased targeting of uh, Shia Hazara in Afghanistan. We know that Iran has worked with uh, Shia fighters from Afghanistan and Syria. So does that kind of come home to roost? Any number of potentialities that I think could play out. And you're right, uh, sitting here in the United States, well, that's not something we're as concerned about um, as, you know, 
as we would be if we were a country in the region. It's, I guess, funny is the wrong word, but it's perhaps ironic that countries like Iran and Pakistan invested so much effort into trying to weaken the U.S. position and ultimately drive the United States out. And you wonder if in the end their own positions are going to be worse off. Um, I did have one other issue I wanted to discuss, which is the international aid question. Right. Uh, as your article makes clear, the, the humanitarian situation in Afghanistan is dire and it's going to get worse. Uh, my, my own read, though, is we're going to see very little international aid going to Afghanistan, even if the Taliban does what outsiders want them to do. And I, I worry that's because uh, there's just simply no way to trust the Taliban and that it's politically toxic for the Biden administration or really for almost any other ally to go near this regime, um, even if they're trying to make gestures of some degree of appeasement uh, to the West. And I suspect how much they'll do will be limited. But I worry in the end that the humanitarian situation um, will not be addressed either by the Taliban or by outsiders. I think you're right about that. And it's, you know, to me, another example of spiking the ball at the five yard line. Uh, you know, engaging in this conflict for 20 years and now kind of walking away and turning our backs because, well, we don't like the way things turned out. I look at Iraq and Syria and I look at these camps like Al Hol in, in northeast Syria where there's clearly still an issue with either ISIS fighters or the families of ISIS fighters that countries have really refused to deal with. It's been a strategy of kick the can down the road. Um, and only, you know, until the situation becomes so dire does the international community uh, you know, spur into action. And so uh, once again, the those caught in the crossfire will be civilians. And I think that's the saddest part uh, of this entire conflict when we look at it in the end.